Hope you have your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find your place in Psalms chapter number 33. Psalms chapter number 33. Uh, if you are just joining us uh, as a guest, I have been going through the book of Acts. And uh, we're still going through the book of Acts, but I uh, wanted to take a, a couple of weeks, a couple of four weeks, and uh, just press pause on that series of messages, which are entitled, Living with Biblical Clarity. And I wanted to stop, and I wanted to address uh, this topic. And let me just say it's going to be an uncomfortable topic. Uh, that's the name of the series, Uncomfortable uh, it's going to be uncomfortable because it's the church's role in politics. Now, there are two responses when a pastor, a preacher begins to talk about politics. Uh, there's that one, oh, finally, he's finally got something to say about this. And then on the other side of the coin, it's, oh, no, he's going to say something about this. And so that's uh, why it's a little bit uncomfortable. But my challenge for you over the next couple of weeks is to do just as that song says, just choose to worship. Choose to worship the Lord because, look, I'm not going to come preaching a Democratic position. I'm not going to come preaching a Republican position. I'm going to come preaching a Christian position. That's where I'm coming. I'm coming to preach a Christian position. And uh, we need to know what the Bible says about politics. And we also need to know about our country. As a matter of fact, the title of this morning's message is called Values, Voting, and Victory in Jesus. Uh, we need to have the victory, and that victory is found in Jesus Christ. We, as American Christians, if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ lives inside of you, you're an American Christian. And as an American Christian, you have a responsibility, you have a duty, you have a job, you have uh, a privilege that you live in a country that gives you the opportunity to see who goes to power. Uh, we should be Christians ought to be actively participating in this. Now it's uncomfortable because, well, because of three reasons. Number one, the first reason why why it has a tendency to be uncomfortable is because some think, because of the separation and separation of church and state clause, that uh, I'm doing something illegal when I start talking about politics. I want you to listen to me very carefully. In our Constitution, in our founding documents. There is no separation of church or state clause. I think a lot of times we get confused. In 1941, there was a, a ruling from the Supreme Court of the United States of America that was erroneous, and it was false. It was, they did not interpret the separation of church and state properly, and it, it, that's what has caused us to be on this current trajectory that we're on in the United States of America. Now, let me say this. We ought to know very clearly and very plainly what that church and church of state, uh, separation of church and state statement, where did it come from, and why should it impact us, and why should we care about it? Well, it should, you should care about it because you're a born-again child of God, and it involves you as a Baptist in, directly, not indirectly, but directly. You see, Thomas Jefferson received a letter from the Doonesbury uh, Association, Baptist Association, and the association, the Southern Baptists, were concerned that the uh, federal government was going to exercise an overreach and the rights that had been given to us by God were going to be infiltrated, if you would, by the federal government and they were going to dictate and tell us what we could and couldn't preach. And we didn't want that. So we, the, the Doonesbury Association wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson and said, this is what we're concerned about. Jefferson, who was also concerned with the same thing, was reiterating to the Doonesbury Association that you don't need to worry about it. Everything's going to be fine because those rights that you have been given have been given to you by God. And because the government has been structured and instituted because of the value system of our founding fathers, there is a protection from that where there will never be a church-run state. And so the state will not found a church, the state will not produce a church, and the state will not say, this is what you have to teach. This is what you have to preach. The state will never do that because God gave you that rights, not the state. And so in regards to that, he says that these rights have been given to you by God. And so he says because of this, there has been a natural wall of separation to separate 
church and state. It had everything to do with the president assuring the Southern Baptist that the church would, or the, the state would never make a church or tell the church what to preach. It had nothing to do with Christians being involved in politics. It had nothing to do with a pastor standing up here and preaching about politics. So listen to me very carefully. I'm not breaking the law today. I'm doing exactly what God has called us to do, especially for such a time as this. Number two, a second thing that people have a problem with. Uh, I say, well, you know what? If you preach on politics, preacher, they're gonna, the government's going to take away your 501c3. Naturally, we are a 501c3, but I want you to understand this. We're not a 501c3 nonprofit organization because the government tells us that. We're a nonprofit organization because we're a church. We're naturally a church. And we're not distinct in regards to that just because we have a label of being a 501c3. The state never tells me what to preach or how to preach. As a matter of fact, when you look over the history of the United States, there's only been one time in American history that a church has been uh, had its 501c3 pulled. And, and it was when Clinton was, in president, was president, and a church in uh, Texas put this big, huge billboard up opposing him. He just said a bunch of ugly uh, stuff about him, and they pulled their 501c3. That's the only time. That's the only time in history, Charles, that that's ever happened. It's really fascinating. So don't be concerned. By the way, let me say this about 501c3. If you just give because of a tax deduction, you're giving out of the wrong heart. Your heart's not right. And we got to be honest, there may come a time where, where we don't have a 501c3 anymore. And, and when I put my offering in today at the 930 hour, when I put my offering in there, I didn't put it in there because I was getting a tax deduction. I was putting it in there because I love Jesus. That's why I give. That, I, it's an act of worship. And, and so a lot of people are afraid. Well, we're going to lose our 501c3. No, they can have it. They can have it. Uh, and then uh, another reason is politics in general. A lot of people say, well, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, you can't trust anybody who's in a profession that starts with P. <laughs> now, some of you are going through your head and you're thinking about it. Politicians, preachers, plumbers, prosecutors, policemen. I mean, you're thinking about those things. By the very word politics, it's just someone who is very active in the social affairs of the, of the state or region that you're located in. It's politics, and a politician is somebody that's in relationship to that. Our founding fathers, when they founded the United States of America, wanted all of us, especially in particular born-again Christians, to run this country. That was their desire. So I don't want you to think today, number one, that I'm breaking the law. I don't want you to think, number two, uh, that I'm fearful we're going to lose our 501c3. I'm not fearful of that. And number, number three, the third thing, uh, that I don't understand politics in general. I, I greatly and understand politics in general. And I hope that at the end of this message, which is quite unique, it's never, you've never heard me do this before. Although it's going to be uncomfortable, I pray that you'll choose to worship. And as you choose to worship, you'll see politicians are just like people like you and me. At the Wild Game Dinner, my favorite story, my favorite story from the Wild Game Dinner came from our parking lot team. You guys follow directions so wonderfully. Uh, JR was head of our parking lot team this year. He did a fantastic job, and I'm just I'm grateful for the job that he did, and I'm grateful for all of you that worked. And uh, we had several different locations where we had key people parking. If you were a lady or you, you were also parking in the same parking lot that our special guests were parking in. And so you knew very clearly that in order for you to park in that parking lot, you had to have a pink ribbon uh, tied on your car in order to get in that parking lot to help serve. Well, our representative, Doug Collins, pulled in. And uh, as he pulled in, there was Pastor Chris Porter was working that parking lot. And then uh, not only was Pastor Chris Porter working there, but Joe Gary was working there as well. I've already talked to Joe, so he's already given me permission to tell this story, so he knows I'm telling it. So Joe, Joe is, was standing there, and he did it to me, too. He pulled in there and uh, asked me who I was, you know, just like you're supposed to do. And I said, really, really, I'm your pastor. He said, oh, okay. Well, Doug Collins pulled in, and Doug rolled his window down. He said, hey, I'm, I'm Representative Doug, Doug Collins, and I'm supposed to park in this parking lot. Joe stuck his hand out. He said, I'm Firefighter Joe Geary, and you ain't got a pink ribbon. 
they had a big laugh, and obviously he escorted him to his parking place. But that's what I want you to understand. Politicians are just people, just like you and I. Just like you and I. But they have been tapped with a very special task of leading our country. But in leading our country, it's our responsibility as born-again children of God to put the right people in power. That's what we're called to do. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to challenge you to look at the history of our founding fathers. And I want to look at ten of our founding fathers, and I want us to look at their value systems. And I want us to see, in order to have victory in Jesus, you and I need to make sure we're registered to vote. And we need to vote in relationship to values. And then at the end, I'm going to wrap this up by challenging you in regards to this presidential election that's coming up to ask one question and search out the answer for one question in relationship to who do we need to vote for for a president. I think it's very clear, very obvious, but I want to challenge you in that respect. So let's begin in Psalms chapter 33, verse number 12. We know this passage of Scripture. It's very familiar to us. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord's. Now let's not stop there and look at the second part. And the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The people that God has chosen for his own inheritance are Christians. Those are Christian people. Those are, if you're going to heaven, it's because you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. On the front side of that verse, he says... Concerning a nation. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord's. If you're going to have a nation that's blessed, you've got to have leaders and you've got to put in power in the United States of America. You've got to put in power leaders that fear God. Leaders that fear God, God will bless that nation. That's what the scripture says here. So with that thought in mind, I want us to think about 10 of our founding fathers. I won't get to, uh, there are many, many, many more, but just looking at 10 of our founding fathers, thinking about what they had to say in relationship to our nation, and then may the Lord bless this morning. Number one, the first one I want us to look at is a man by the name of Benjamin Rush. Benjamin Rush was the Surgeon General of the Continental Army. He helped start many colleges. As a matter of fact, he is known to be the one that began the Sunday school movement. So you were in Sunday school today. Uh, this is the man that began that movement in the United States of America. This man also started the first American Bible Society. If you've ever ordered a Bible from the American Bible Society, you should know that Benjamin Rush is the one that founded that society. He published the first American chemistry book. And when John Adams and Thomas Jefferson got upset at each other and they would not talk to one another, the good fellow had to come along and help them. That good fellow was Benjamin Rush. Benjamin Rush came alongside these two brothers and said, look, we've got to get things right. And he helped these two guys that were in opposition to one another come late in their life and to make reconciliation. Benjamin Rush also opposed slavery. It's amazing to me when you look at our founding fathers how many of them, many, many of them opposed slavery in a very adamant way. They did not want slavery in the United States of America. So when you hear people get upset when they say, well, make America great again, it wasn't so great back then. I want you to understand Benjamin Rush was saying, listen, we understand that that's not a good thing. We ought not uh, uh, judge whether or not America was great or not in regards to that being in place when you had men like this trying to get it out of America. America was great back then. And America needs to be great again today. And so when you listen to the voice of a man by the name of Benjamin Rush, we better pay very close attention to what he has to say because what he says vehemently opposes slavery and is all about a nation that loves Jesus Christ. In fact, he said this about the Bible. He says, The Bible, when not read in schools, is seldom read in any subsequent period of life. The Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books because it contains the greatest portion of that kind of knowledge which is calculated to produce private and public happiness. Oh yeah, by the way, did you know that Benjamin Rush was also the father of the public school system under the Constitution? 
the father of the public school system regarding the Constitution of the United States of America said it is the Bible that promotes private and public happiness. And it needs to be read in the schools. What do we need in our school system today to help promote public and private uh, happiness? The Word of God. The Bible needs to be back in school. It was his intention to have the Bible as the cornerstone in our public school system today. He also says this, My only hope of salvation is in the infinite, transcendent love of God manifested to the, to the world by, his, by the death of his Son upon the cross. Nothing but his blood will wash away my sins. I rely exclusively upon it. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Benjamin Rush clearly loved Jesus Christ. He clearly feared the Lord. He had a value system that it was in Christ and Christ alone and wanted an education system that centered around the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He clearly understood that the Bible is the Word of God. And in order to have a nation that's truly happy, it has to be a nation that's truly holy. And the only way to have a holy nation is to have a nation that bows and sees and submits itself to the living God by the Word of God. Number two, the second person I want you to notice his value system is a man by the name of John Jay. John Jay was the very first Chief Justice of the United States of America. He was appointed by Thomas Jefferson and was the author of the Jay Treaty, which attempted to normalize trade with Britain in 1795. He opposed slavery, and he was also the governor of New York for six years. He became the president of the American Bible Society, which Benjamin Rush began. He is also the author of what we know as the Federalist Papers. He wrote alongside Alexander Hamilton and James Madison. He was married to, the, to a lady by the name of Sarah Livingston. They had six children together, and he loved the United States of America. He said this about America, quote, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Now let me stop right there because if you run by this, you'll miss some very important history in our nation. It was John Jay, the first chief justice of the Supreme Court, that said, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. That is to say that God, looking down upon the United States of America, was moved to such a way that he allowed America, the providence of God, allowing America to choose their rulers. That we are the ones that choose who sit in the presidency. We choose who sits in the Senate. We choose who sits in the House locally and also nationwide. It has been given to us to choose, he says. Therefore, it is the duty as well as the privilege and should be in our best interest that our Christian nation select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Where have we messed up in America? Right here. We have not been interested in politics. We've allowed this separation of church and state to let the news media and the mainstream media tell us that we can't say anything about it. Well, we know that's not true here at Maysville. Well, we talk about it anyway. And the bottom line is simply this. This is a nation where I have the freedom to speak. And in that freedom to speak, more than that, I've been commissioned by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in preaching that gospel in the world that God has placed me in, that being the United States, and thank God I've been born in Alabama and moved to Georgia. I've been in the South my whole life. But I'm here to tell you as one of y'all, we haven't put the right people in the right place. And we need to get back to it. Look at what else John Jay said. He said this. It is certainly very desirable that a Pacific dispensation or disposition should prevail among all nations. And the most effectual way of producing it is by extending the prevalence and influence of the gospel. John Jay simply said that it is desirable that we have a Pacific 
disposition. Now, what does that mean? It means a peaceful outlook. And not just for us, but that should prevail among every nation, that we're a peaceful people. And the most effectual way to produce a peaceful people or a peaceful nation is by extending the prevalence and the importance and the influence of what? The gospel. It's the gospel that produces people of morality. It's the gospel that produces a nation of humility. It's the gospel that produces a holy nation, one that fears God. And so when you remove that aspect from the public sector, and you begin to move away from God, and Romans chapter 1 begins to take place. These men understood this. John Jay clearly understood when you stop sharing the gospel, the nation begins to tank. Why have we seen a decline in morality in America? I'll tell you the reason why. Because we're not sharing the gospel anymore. Number three, Samuel Adams. When you mention Samuel Adams today, most people they just think about beer. But might I add that Samuel Adams was a very, very important founding father. Samuel Adams was from Massachusetts, and he was a, a very early revolutionary warrior that struggled uh, in regards to the Declaration of Independence because he was doing other things. He was leading the charge in opposing Britain in taxing. He, he was the leader of the Boston Tea Party. And so in leading the Boston Tea Party, he was known as this revolutionary. In fact, uh, he was called by Thomas Jefferson the man of the revolution. And it was during this revolution that he was instrumental in starting the Continental Congress that would meet and adopted these things to move us in the right path. Samuel Adams had some important things to say about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One of which when he said, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Tither the righteous flee and are safe in Proverbs 18.10. Let us secure his favor. And he will lead us through the journey of this life. And, the length, and at length receive us to a better. He says we need to run to the strong tower. And let, and let America be led by God in order for us to prevail. And then when we die, we'll go home to be with him in heaven. He also said this, principally and first of all, he says, I resign my soul to the almighty being who gave it. And my body I commit to the dust, relying on the merits of Jesus Christ for the pardon of my sin. Samuel Adams clearly said, the only way that I'm going to heaven is I've allowed, uh, I, I have received and submitted myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And submitting myself to Jesus Christ, he has pardoned my sins. It was Jesus Christ that pardoned Samuel Adams' sin. Number four, Richard Stockton. Richard Stockton was from New Jersey and he served as a lawyer who personally presented to King George III the grievance of the Stamp Act. Uh, he donated land for Princeton University, and he served as a trustee there for 26 years. He was captured by the British very early in the conflict of 1776, and he never took a pardon from the king in exchange for loyalty to the crown. He wanted and was willing to die for this nation and for the faith that this nation was to secure. Richard Stockton had this to say about God. He said, I subscribe to the early belief of a great and leading doctrines of the Christian religion, such as the being of God, the universal defection and depravity of human nature, the divinity of the person, and the completeness of the redemption purchased by the blessed Savior, the necessity of the operations by the divine spirit, of divine faith accompanied by a habitual virtuous life and the universality of divine providence. You know what uh, Richard Stockton simply said? He said, I believe God is God. I believe Jesus is his son. I believe the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And while God is going to have his way, I believe this nation is under God. Notice what he says about you and I. He says this, and I quote, I exhort and charge my children 
talking about those in the United States of America, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and that the way of life held up in Christian system is calculated for the most complete happiness that can be enjoyed in this moral state, and that all occasions of vice and immorality is injurious either immediately or consequently, even in this life. He says, I exhort you, I challenge you, I want to get on my knees and beg you if I could that you as a nation fear God. Because when you stop fearing God, you begin to turn away from Him. You wonder what's happened to us today in 2020 as a nation. We've turned from God. I think about uh, oftentimes, and I've, I've quoted this several times, but it is worth quoting because it's just right where we are as a nation. They were interviewing Jim Baker in regards to his sexual promiscuity. And they asked him the question. They said, Mr. Baker, when did you stop loving God? And Jim turned and said to the interviewer, I've never stopped loving God. He said, my problem was as I stopped fearing God. Brothers and sisters, that's the problem with us as a nation today. It's not that we don't love God. It's that we stopped fearing God. And when you look at the value systems of our founding fathers, like Benjamin Rush, John Jay, Samuel Adams, and Richard Stockton, here are men that feared God and implored you and I, as American citizens, to fear God. Noah Webster we know him as uh, the man that uh, wrote Webster's Dictionary. He was from Connecticut. He's the father of American scholarship and education. He was actually the editor of the Federalist Papers, and he also authored the Copyright Act. He published and sold, or excuse me, he published spelling books for public school systems, and he began compiling an American Dictionary of the English Language in 1807, a project that took him 26 years to complete. He said this about the Christian religion. He said the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. No truth is more evident than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. Noah Webster had it right. Noah Webster simply said this, If you put anybody in political power outside of a born-again Christian, you run the risk of losing those Christian liberties. Only Christians that are in power secure religious freedom for everyone. A Jehovah Witness can be a Jehovah Witness. A Mormon can be a Mormon in America. A Catholic can be a Catholic in America. When born-again children of God are placed in power, they secure the freedoms for everyone. But you, you, let, you, you let an Islamist be in power. They will create and generate a religion by which they force you to choose. And unless you choose Islam... You will be a second-class citizen. Noah Webster simply said in regards to this issue of Christianity, we have got to put people in power because if we don't put Christian people in power, we lose our freedoms. You look across our nation today. We've got sections in the United States of America where Islamic law is the law of the land. Number six, Roger Sherman. Roger Sherman is probably one of my most favorite founding fathers. He was a pastor. He was from Connecticut, and he's the only, he's the only uh, founding father to sign all four important documents from the Declaration of Independence to the Constitution. He served as a lawyer, and he was the first mayor of New Haven. He actually introduced the coin as currency. His wife was Elizabeth Hartwell, and she had seven children. And then she passed away, and he married Rebecca Prescott, and they had eight children, six of whom survived into adulthood. He definitely had a quiver full. There is no doubt about it. I want you to listen to what he had to say about God. 
Roger Sherman said, I believe that there is one only living and true God existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. That the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are a revelation from God and a complete rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. How do we glorify and enjoy God? By reading the Old and New Testament. He was a strong proponent that beginning with uh, anything that you do, you ought to be personally reading the Word of God. It promotes enjoyment and it glorifies God. He said this about the church. He said, I believe a visible church is to be a congregation of those who make a credible profession of their faith in Christ. In obedience to Him, joined by the bond of the covenant. What is the covenant that bounds us? It's the covenant of the Great Commission. We have but one commission given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In studying the book of Acts, we're told that we are to be witnesses for Him. Matthew says it's the Great Commission. We are to go into all the world and, and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Roger Sherman said this ought to be exercised by the church. This covenant that we're bound by ought to be one that sends us out and that we make sure that the United States of America remains a Christian nation so that we can secure the foundation by which we were built upon. Roger Sherman was very clear. This nation was founded on biblical values. Roger Sherman, Noah Webster, Richard Stockton, Samuel Adams, John Jay, Benjamin Rush all had a value system that revolved around Jesus Christ as being their Savior and Lord. But what about Charles Carroll? Have you ever heard of Charles Carroll? He was a signer. He's a very interesting man. He's the only Roman Catholic to sign the Declaration of Independence. He helped draft the Maryland Constitution. First, he's the first U.S. Senator from Maryland. And he helped establish the Baltimore and Ohio Railroads after he had retired. What's fascinating about Charles Carroll is his statement of faith. Listen to what Charles Carroll said about his salvation. He said, and I quote, On the mercy of my Redeemer, I rely for salvation on His merits. Not on the works I have done in obedience to His, but on the, not on the works I have done in obedience to His precepts. We find here that Charles Carroll simply said, As a Catholic, I am not saved based upon the sacraments. I don't pray to Mary to get saved. No. He says, I'm saved by the mercy of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I rely for on salvation and upon His merits. Not upon the sacraments, but upon what Jesus did. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the merits by which I look to for my salvation. Boy, how fascinating to know that Charles Carroll also is a man of a Roman Catholic uh, religion that yet had faith that Jesus was the only way to heaven. L listen to what he said here about morality. He said, and I quote, Without morals, a republic cannot subsist any length of time. Did you hear what he said? Well, you think about our morals today. Uh, let me continue. They therefore who are decrying the Christian religion whose morality is so sublime and pure and with, which denounces against the wicked eternal misery and which ensured to the good eternal happiness are undermining the solid foundation of morals, the best security for the duration of a free government. What's the best cure for a free government? Morals. Where do you find those morals? The Bible. What do we need to do in order to have morality? Get back to the Bible. What's the problem in our world today? Morals. Why is the problem morals? Because we're not reading the Bible. Charles Carroll was right. In order for us to continue and to have a, the duration of a free government, we've got to have morals. In order to have morals, wrong's got to be wrong and right's got to be right. And what's wrong is wrong and what's right's right. And the only way to tell right from wrong is to clearly understand what the Bible says is wrong is wrong. So when it comes to the arena of social justice, we must understand that the cure for social justice is not social justice in and of itself. What the cure for social justice is, 
is Jesus. Forgiveness is the cure for social justice. That's why Benjamin Rush said what he said, and John Jay said what he said, and all of these men, all the way down to Charles Carroll, they could not stand for slavery because they knew it was a great injustice, and in order to get it right, we had to receive Christ as Savior. George Mason, he was born in 1725. He died in 1792. He was from Virginia, and he adamantly opposed the United States Constitution. He was not going to sign it. He said, no, you can forget it. I'm not signing that document. And the reason why I'm not signing that document, he said, is I'm concerned about the overreach. He was, he was also uh, afraid of just exactly what the Doonesbury Association was afraid of. He was afraid of the overreach, and the government would come in and tell you how to worship and what to worship and all of this. And he was just against it. He says, I fear the overreach. So he, he authored the Virginia Declaration of Rights, which came to be known as the Bill of Rights for the United States of America. Upon accepting the Bill of Rights, George Mason said, I can do this now. He says, I can cheerfully put my hand to this paper and sign my name. I can put my name on it because I know there's this Bill of Rights that's been given to us, and it's by God. Listen to what George Mason had to say. He said, and I quote, My soul I resign into the hands of my almighty Creator whose tender mercies are all over his work, who hateth nothing that he hath made, and to the justice and wisdom of whose dispensations I willingly and cheerfully submit, humbly hoping for his unbound mercy and benevolence through the merits of my blessed Savior, a remission of my sins. He says, I've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is my personal Savior and Lord. He goes on to say, and I quote, As much as I value a union of all the states. Listen to this. You'll love this. He says, I would not admit the southern states to the union. Why? Listen to what he says. Unless they agreed to the discontinuance of this disgraceful slave trade. Because it would bring weakness and not strength to the union. Why did George Mason say that? George Mason said that because he knew the founding fathers time and time and time and time and time and time again said that we're based upon the freedom that we've been given by God. And the freedom that we've been given by God it should be free for all people in all religions, in all nationalities, all colors, all creeds. And when you say that this nation is one nation under God, then we must not have slavery in this nation because it contradicts what we're trying to accomplish. And that's the freedom for all mankind. He said, so I hesitate in even an invitation to come to the southern states until they get to the place in their relationship with God where they know that they discontinue this disgraceful slave trade. He knew it was wrong. And what did he want the South to do? Get right with God. Can I just say this? We could use a good dose of getting right with God in America today. Number nine, Francis Hopkins. Francis Hopkins is the only music guy in the bunch. Uh, he is a writer, a poet. He wrote songs and hymns. A couple of the lyrics in his hymns that he wrote cannot be found in our hymn book today, but you can find them online if you just Google his name. Uh, he was a very fascinating individual as a composer and hymnist. Uh, he served as the church director and church choir leader. Uh, he also served as a judge for the United States District Court. He wrote this about his precious Lord. He would sing, Have mercy therefore on us, Lord, and all our hearts incline with diligence and care to keep those righteous laws of thine. Blessed is he who fears the Lord. And does his laws obey, great his seed shall be on earth, his race shall not decay. Crowned with wealth his house shall be, to mercy still inclined. Though in trouble he shall shine, the blessing of mankind. This man loved Jesus with all of his heart. His value system was in the word of God. And then last of all, the last one I want us to consider this morning is Patrick Henry.
Patrick Henry was from Virginia. He worked as a criminal attorney and he was known as a brilliant orator. He had great communication skills. Did you know that Patrick Henry also was very concerned with the Constitution's overreach? And to help spirit along the adoption of the Bill of Rights, he served as the first governor of Virginia. And then he served again as the sixth governor. He was fearful of both the spread of atheism and the spread of deism towards the end of his life. When he looked across the landscape of the United States of America, he saw atheism on the rise. Remember what atheism is. Atheism is not believing in God at all. And then he says, on the other hand, there's deism that's really rising up in the United States of America. Deism is all gods. It doesn't matter. They're just all, all gods. He says, this is not right. Deism's not right. Atheism's not right. What he was jockeying for is he says, we need to get back to monotheism. One God. We need to get back to one God. And if we ever leave that one God, our nation is doomed. Listen to what he has to say about the United States of America. He says this, and I quote, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For that reason alone, people of other faith have been afforded freedom of worship here. Again, Patrick Henry was very clear in saying, he says, I cannot be, it cannot be emphasized too strongly. He says, I can't, I can't give it to you more plainly than this. This nation was not founded by religionists. It was, not found, it was founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he was born of a virgin, died on Calvary's cross, was married, and on the third day rose again. This is the founding principles of the United States. And he says that's the only reason why people have freedom to worship the way that they worship. So we cannot fall to deism. We cannot fall to atheism. We must get back to the gospel. Did you know the most uh, increasing uh, religion in the world today is atheism. It's growing faster than any other religion. And also in regards to this issue, we find that our morality is in the tank. And because it is in the tank and we have left God here and forsaken God there and forgot about God over here, we have found ourselves in a position when you look at the landscape of the United States of America's leaders, you ask ourselves the question, is there anybody that really fears God? I thank God there's a handful of people that fear God. I thank God for people like Gary Black that fear the Lord. And that want to govern and rule from a position of this being a Christian nation. I thank God for Doug Collins. I thank God for you. In this church, we've got several people that serve in relationship to civil authority. Man, I am grateful that there is a remnant of people who love God and say, Listen, we have got to take this nation Patrick Henry said this, that's an indictment on us today. He says, this book, the Bible, is worth all the books that ever were printed. It has been my misfortune that I have never found time to read it with the proper attention and feeling till lately. I trust in the mercy of heaven that it's not too late. What was Patrick Henry saying? He's not talking about being too late for his salvation. He's already he was made it very clear that he believed Jesus was his Savior. But he was saying, I hope it's not too late for our nation. You know what our nation needs? Our nation needs Christians to fall in love with the book. 
the world will pass away, but his word will never pass away. And just as our founding fathers said that in regards to this book, it is the foundation by which we live by. You see, our founding fathers submitted themselves to God, placed themselves under the word of God, knew that Jesus was the only way to God, and wanted a nation that propagated the gospel of God. And we have let political correctness, mainstream media, the Johnson rule, to silence pulpits across America. And we have steered clear of preaching the truth. Brothers and sisters, friends, guests, we have an obligation as American Christians, Christian Americans, to participate in the governments that God has set this country up with. It is our responsibility to run for office. It's our responsibility to register and vote. It's our responsibility to take this nation from where we are today back to the Word of God and holiness. You say, well, man, I, you know what? I, I don't want to be wandering in the desert and all that like they did in the Bible. Don't misunderstand, friend. I'm not talking about wandering in the desert. I'm talking about walking after holiness. I'm talking about walking after God. I'm talking about just a simple fearing God. To fear God. We don't fear God anymore. We shake our fist at God. Oh, brothers and sisters, what we need here in the United States is a great spiritual awakening. And we need to be moved in such a way that we uh, are fall in deep sadness over the course that our nation has gone. Where we call wrong right and right wrong. Where we look out and see that immorality is running amok and we are under the judgment of God. And lest we come back to him, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. May God have mercy on the United States. And may God move us to a point to know that if we're going to have victory in Jesus, it'll be born again children of God doing their part in being good citizens as American Christians and getting involved in politics. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you've never registered to vote, the goal is not to shame you. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's not what I'm trying to do. The goal is don't leave this place today without registering. It is your Christian duty to be a part of the United States of America. Today we have furnished out in the hallway in the Welcome Center out there. We have volunteers that have come that will help you register. You can register to vote before you leave today. Let's not do, as Patrick Henry said, let's not fear that it's too late. It's not too late. God's a long-suffering God. God moves in mysterious ways. Now, I said I wanted to challenge you with one other thing in regards to the election. Now, tomorrow, Jackson County, you're voting on uh, this uh, early voting starts tomorrow. <clears throat> uh, sheriff, voting for sheriff, praying for your sheriff. We love our sheriff. I thank God for Miss Janice Mangum. I thank the Lord. She fears the Lord. She's been in church today. She actually was watching our service this morning. To God be the glory. I thank God that we've got a sheriff that loves Jesus. You'll be voting on sheriff tomorrow. Let me say this, Banks County, you're going to be voting on some alcohol referendums. You need to be praying. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine's a mocker, strong drink is raging, he that participates is not wise. I'm not here to tell you that alcohol's going to send you to hell. I'm here to tell you that the Bible says it's not wise. Well, why is it not wise? Well, because it leads to degradation. So be very careful how you vote, Banks County. Look to the Lord. In regards to our presidential election this year, if you'll study one question and answer one question, you'll know exactly who to vote for. And it's this question. What does the candidate believe 
about life. According to this book right here, the Bible, life begins at conception. You answer the question for the candidate, what do they believe about life? If they don't believe life begins at conception, there's a problem. we got to answer that question. I want to challenge you to do that. Now, I told you that this sermon series is going to be uncomfortable. And I've also challenged you in this respect. Come to worship. It is not my goal, nor it is my desire to tell you who you should vote for and who you shouldn't vote for. It is my desire to say this nation was bound and founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. And our founding fathers, as well as the Word of God, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, strictly tell us that the powers that be have been ordained by God, and it is our responsibility to be those type of citizens that follow the government that God has given us. To God be the glory. We are in the United States of America, and we have the opportunity to put those people in power Let's practice what we preach and let's be a part and let's be a part with gladness and let's get some people in there that fear God. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity. Lord, it's a different message for the church today. Different. Uncomfortable. But God, I pray that as we take this journey together, I pray that we would take it in such a way that we would see that you have blessed America. We are one nation under God. Help us to be indivisible. With that liberty and justice for all. Now before I say amen, the only way to have true liberty is to know where you're going to spend in eternity. I could preach up here all day about our founding fathers. I could talk about uh, how they influenced this nation and what they stood for and, and quote them for hours and hours and hours. But the bottom line is just simply this. These men that I quoted today had a personal relationship with Jesus. My question for you this morning is, do you? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I was speaking to one of, my, uh, one of our church members on the way from the refuge this morning. And as I was coming over here, they just simply said this to me. They said, one thing, Pastor, you preached that really, really sent me under deep conviction. And it was the fact that you said it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Dear friend, that is so true. It's about a relationship. Do you have a relationship with God? If you don't, the Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So this morning, if you'd like to be saved, would you say to God these words not that the word save you, but by faith would you cry out to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent and trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.